0: Hey, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Training Ground podcast with your host, Kevin Berry. Today on the Training Ground, Kevin is speaking with Eric Burstein. Eric is entering his 14th year as the head women's soccer coach at the NCAA Division II program, Kutztown University. In this episode, Kevin will be discussing with Eric the concept of soccer periodization, how to implement soccer-specific periodization in and out of the season, recruiting philosophy, and advice to incoming freshmen. Eric, I appreciate you coming on to the Training Ground podcast. It's pleasure. Yeah, Thank you. thanks for having me, man. I'm looking forward to it. You've been following a periodization model for some time as a head collegiate coach um, for women's soccer. Can you talk me through how you got started with that and um, w- what was the rationale for changing your previous system? Sure. So uh, back in um, 2015,
1: um, we, went, we were fortunate enough to advance in the NCAA tournament and went into the first round where um, you know, we ended up losing in penalties, but I really just felt we looked, I'll use the word disinterested, which I think is a silly, um, word to use when you look at college athletics, the college athletes are not disinterested in playing, but we, that's how we look. Um, so after the season, I had met with our captains and, and basically tried to figure out why it seemed like we lacked energy. We lacked, uh, you know, the desire to go and win the game. Um, and basically what they said to me was that their legs were dead. They were tired. Um, and at that point, I was like, "Okay, that makes sense," and didn't really think much about it. And the, you know, fast forward to 2016, uh, you know, we have an off year for us. I think we finished 11-6 and one, lost in the conference quarterfinals, and again, just felt like towards the end of the season, it just seemed like we were limping through games. It wasn't; it just didn't seem sharp. So at that point, I met with the captains again. They said the same thing, and I said, "Okay, this has been my fault. We're overtraining. These kids are tired." Um, so, about that time, um, Raymond Verhuisen, um had sent uh, or put out a book about periodization um, and one of our, two of my friends um, were really, you know, looking into this, reading it. So, I said, you know what, this summer I'm going to do that. So, I purchased his book, uh, did the reading um, and, I, I, you know, I think it's a piece of genius, quite frankly. So, in 2016, we implemented some of it. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the critical thing for me was understanding how it worked Um, And then how I can make it work for our program, because obviously um, with Verheisen, he works at some of the top clubs and and soccer federations in the world. So they have more resources. Um, Obviously, they have more time to train in college. Um, As you know, you know, you got sometimes, you know, four games in 11 days and it's not it's not, you know, it's not it's not realistic to think you're going to be able to put together um, the exact program and make it work. So I started to figure out and tinker with it. Um, I think the whole thing is, is, is brilliant, um, quite frankly. So we just had to figure out how we, you know, how it would work for us. Uh, We implemented it in 2016 and, you know, we had the best season in our program's history. Um, You know, we played the longest seasons in our program's history, uh, which was, you know, we were fortunate to make it to the final four. Um, And I think, you know, what, you know, cemented the fact that this was the right thing to do um, was the fact that after the, the final four and I met with some of the players, they still felt good. Um, they said their legs weren't heavy. They weren't rolling out of bed and rolling to a bottle of Advil, struggling to get to class. Um, they weren't, they were excited about training um, because this model really does change a lot of how you train, how frequently you train, um, how long your sessions are, and then the quality um, that you're going to get out of your players. And I think the other thing, which is so important to, 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 to mention is the mental side of it. The players feel better. Um, They're not depressed. They're not thinking of like, oh, another practice. They're excited to go because they have the energy to be there and the energy to compete at a high level. And you can get so much more out of them in such a shorter period of time. So um, it was a lot of those, you know, late season, you know, we look leggy to then realizing, hey, we need to make a change, doing some research, having some conversations with coaches um, to, to see what they were doing, adopting this periodization model. And again, not the full model, because obviously there are some certain things we can't do because we're in the college level, um, but taking more of, a, of an active interest in their recovery and, and, and so on. So I, I think it's been great for our program, great for our kids, um, great for the mental side of the game, and it's something I think will continue
0: to evolve um, and use, you know, from this moment forward. I think sometimes the perception might be that you're training less or you're not really working hard. Um, can, can you provide almost like a week-long template? Say if you had a game, let's say you play Wednesday, Saturday, for example. What, what right. would a typical week look like for you in that phase?
1: Sure. So what's interesting about this, and I think, you know, to go back to something you said about, you know, you're not working hard. That was the, the hesitation for me to even start this. Um, because what I recognized when we started this program was early on, especially in preseason, kids were like, hey, I feel like I can do more. Or, hey, I don't feel like we're doing enough. And I'd be like, well, why do you feel that way? Well, I feel so good and I'm not sore. I'm like, well, wouldn't you rather feel that way than opposed to, you know, completely run down and beat up? And, um, you know, I would ask like, you know, do you have friends at other schools? How do they feel right now? How oh, they're exhausted. I'm like, well, yeah. The idea here is we want to be fresh early and fit late, not fit early and fatigued late. Um, and it takes some time for some of the kids to, you know, to buy into that because they come from a club soccer culture where overtraining is, is what parents are paying for, sadly. Um, but basically for us, you know, Sunday would be an off day for the most part. So the kids would be off on Sundays. Monday, we come in and we go a little bit harder. Um, you know, and again, I think in season for us, we have a, a large combination of technical functional training, um, as well as, you know, some tactical, you know, components to what we do in terms of, Breaking up the team with defenders, midfielders, forwards, and just working through patterns of play. Um, and then we do a lot of our, our fitness stuff in 11 aside models. So, you know, we'll come in and we'll play, you know, 11 aside. And depending on where we are from our fitness base, which we look at in preseason, um, we'll run three or four blocks of let's say eight minutes. So they'll have an eight minute block followed by a four minute rest period, four to five minute rest period where a lot of the coaching will be made looking at certain situations. Obviously, if we see something in the actual eight-minute block that we need to stop and correct, we'll do that, and we might add a minute or two on. But the idea here is we want the players playing at maximum uh, level. So when they're closing down space, they're doing it on a sprint. Um, if they're you know, defending as a group and they're sliding, you know, can they do it at their absolute fastest pace? Um, so basically, when we come back on Monday, it's you know, that type of thing. Tuesday, we taper down a little bit uh start to look at some things um you know that we need to do in the game to be successful wednesday's game day that's typically when we would uh bring them in prior to to, to taking the field for warm up to go through uh, a scouting report uh we've given them some of that information prior to uh but sometimes we'll we'll, we'll meet like in our field house and we'll walk through you know, some of the, the tendencies of the team we're playing and how we're going to deal with some things. If we are going to have a tactical change, what is it going to look like? We'll do that right before kickoff so it's as fresh in their minds as possible. Play the game Wednesday. Um, Thursday, we, we take a look at players' minutes. So, you know, if we have a player who's played 90 minutes, she'll basically come in. She might do some light juggling, some soccer, tennis, a jog and stretch. She's not training that day. Um, players who didn't play you know, they will come in and they'll be like in a seven-a-side or 77, 8 v 8 small-sided, intense game, four or five-minute blocks. Um, and obviously, if they didn't play at all, they're going to run all four of those blocks. Also gives us the opportunity to keep our keepers engaged. Um, but it, it helps maintain that fitness level for those players um, without, you know, them feeling like, oh, I just come in and I jog and stretch. I didn't even play yesterday. Um, and that was something we really made a mistake on in, in 2016. Um, you know, I'm thankful one of our players came to me and said, hey, look, I understand the periodization model. and I buy into it, but I'm not getting a lot of minutes. So the day after our games, we're just jogging and stretching. What am I really getting? I'm like, you're completely right. So that was a change that we had made to go into some type of a, a, a smaller side and never like a 3v3 transition, uh, but something that's not that heavy on the legs you know, where there's a good work
0: to rest ratio. Yeah. Well, you're keeping it specific to soccer too. And it's not Absolutely. just the case of go out and do two or three mile and then come back to me. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. We want them to, we want them to maintain the game fitness. Um, so then, you know, so we'll, we'll do that Thursday. Um, Friday again is a little bit lighter because we play again on Saturday and then Sunday's off. I mean, what's interesting about doing it this way. And again, our sessions can tra- change. I mean, Monday might be You know, depending on how we feel, Um, the other thing I think coaches need to understand is if you are going to adopt this policy, you have to listen to your players. Um, You know, it's easy for me to stand on the sideline being overweight, out of shape and going, hey, we got to work harder. Well, they might be tired, you know, and, and, you know, the stresses of, of midterms of final exams, the stress of just being in class. Um, so if you talk to your players and say, look, coach, we're feeling a little, you know, legs are feeling a bit heavy, you need to monitor and, and, and monitor that and then acclimate um, to, to that to the way they feel and change your training session. So although that's a typical template, obviously, we have a lot of, you know, a lot of flexibility for changing some things. Um, and sometimes it's not uncommon during the season, we give them two days off, um, just so they can recover. Um, but if we're on the field with players who haven't played, the players who have played are there, but they're doing more recovery stuff, recovery stuff. So. Um, you know, it is, it is important to understand that you do have to communicate with your players and, and make sure um, that you're training everybody in this model. It's very easy to forget about players who might not be getting as much time. Uh, while you're putting so much emphasis on, on keeping players healthy, you're sometimes losing your focus on the kids who need to stay fit because you're going to need them. So you want to make sure you're providing uh, an all, you know, a, a, a program that works for everybody.
0: Now, when you talk about looking for feedback from players, uh, what, what's your recommendation for our coaches? Should they look for two defenders, two midfielders, two forwards, the entire team, or look specifically towards captains for feedback? What's,
1: um, um, I, you know, usually when we get in for training, um, the kids will be like in a small rondo, you know, as a fun thing to just kind of get ready before we, we start with our, you know, typical dynamic stretching and what have you. Um, I'll just go up to kids during the rondo and say, hey, how are we feeling? Legs good. Um, I'll check in with a text message. Um, you know, how are you feeling? Are you feeling, you know, tired, sore? Where are we at? Um, I'll talk to them collectively as a group because sometimes they feel, you know, more comfortable speaking in a group and saying, oh, coach, hey, we're a little bit tired as opposed to, you know, they have the mentality sometimes individually say, no, no, I'm fine. I'll push through and that's not what we're looking for. Um, so, it's a, it's a combination of different things. Mm-hmm. Texting, phone call, group chat, you know, one-on-one on, on the training ground when we're, we're getting ready to train just to kind of get an idea as to where we are. Um, The other thing I will say is that with this periodization model, what we've recognized, what we have done uh, more so in preseason is, you know, we're not running two sessions a day um, competitively. So we'll run a, a small technical functional group with the midfielders and then look at roles and responsibilities, which is more of a walkthrough. And then in the afternoon, we'll come back and we'll play. What we've recognized is that we'll start our sessions with a six or eight minute block and do four of those, but we might get halfway through the second or third block and the game becomes completely stretched. So now we're, we're, we're taxing these kids physically. Um, and basically we're asking them to do things that their bodies are not ready for them to do. So if we notice the game gets stretched and it's two back and forth, we'll stop practice even if it's 30 minutes. Because basically what they're telling us physically is that, yes, I know what you want. We've gone through it. And although I am trying, I can't do it at my max level but I'm trying to do it. Well, if they're trying to do it, it isn't coming off the body's saying, look, I'm not ready for this. Um, And that was a really difficult thing to do as a coach, especially when I was, you know, the old school way of, you know, 3v3, mix it up, get into it, you know, and and overworking them, you know, essentially. Um, I think that's a huge thing to remember is that you do have to look at and say, look, they're not ready and be able to pull back and say, okay, even if the session's been going for 30 minutes, because eventually the idea here is when it matters, which is the late season, they're really going to feel good. They're not going to be tired. They're going to be fit. They're not going to be fatigued.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a lot of experience with goalkeepers specifically. Um, how would the model fit in for a goalkeeper versus an outfield player? You know, what are some differences for a typical training week?
1: Sure. What we like to do um, with our goalkeepers, you know, one, they are accountable for the same fitness test that all the players have to run. Um, I think it's incredibly important to have a fitness base. Um, the periodization model is not going to work if – 25 of your 35 kids come in and they're just not fit. Um, so there has to be a fitness space because you want to build off of something. Um, now, ideally if you're if you're doing it this way the idea is that you're not overtraining, so eventually they'll get caught up but it's physiological everyone's going to get caught up at different times so you want to have a good fitness base our goalkeepers again that that is the challenge because they're not going to be running as much as some of the field players so they never really have quote unquote an off day so they're training all the time and i think they get a lot of work not just with our goalkeeper coach who you know? You know those kids are you know constantly getting repetition with technical functional stuff, hitting the ground, footwork, catching. But when we get them in the small sided environments, um, in the seven aside, eight aside, they're seeing shots. It's more repetitive. They are getting a workout, so they're maintaining their base. You know their fitness level for what they need specifically uh, through the course of the season. So it's not like we have to do a tremendous amount more for them, other than to know that if we're giving our team, let's say, two days off. We may have to bring them in on that, you know, maybe off the one day, but the second day they may have to come in and just get some, some, you know, routine shot stopping just to stay sharp. But there really isn't too much that has to change because we are giving them an environment of shot stopping, angle play, crosses, physicality, all within that seven aside, eight aside environment.
0: Absolutely. So again, just touching on it, it's more game specific, and you're not putting out cones or hurdles or, or anything um, for a half an hour an hour each day.
1: No, and in fact, what I think our recruits love this. I, honestly, outside of our fitness test, we have not done isolated fitness in about four or five years. Um, and to be fair, I mean, our, our kids are fit. So, um, and we haven't had muscle injuries that have kept people out. We've had, you know, some hip flexor things here and there that are aggrav- aggravated injuries, but not something that keeps a kid off the field or affecting their play. Um, and I think that has to do with just ball striking prior to coming to preseason um, more than it does the way that we're training. Um, so so yeah i mean it's it's um you know we we we're looking at this very very closely across all parts of of our program goalkeepers
0: defenders midfielders forwards yeah. can you speak a little bit towards the fitness test what it's composed of, and when that fits into your preseason schedule
1: sure um it, the, the the fitness test for us has been a um kind of a, 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 a an organism it's you know changing it's always evolving a little bit. Originally, when I came to Kutztown, I had taken uh, the same fitness test we used at Bowling Green, which I liked and was hard. Um, and being a young, ambitious coach, when I came into KU and I took over the program, I basically told the girls, anybody who fails will be, will be asked to leave the program. So everybody passed. Um, having set that standard, um, I think from that point forward, the fitness tests became like, oh my God, they have this fitness test. It's a GBFT. Everybody panicked. It it gave them a nice level of anxiety, not too much, although some, you know, some alumni will even text me still going, hey, good luck today, like, because they remember it vividly. Um, The the, the test has changed a bit. It's become a bit more soccer specific. And essentially what we tell the players is, look, you have to be able to complete these, I think it's 14 elements. Um, And most of it is short distance stuff. I think if you add up the times that they have to get, I think it, it, it comes out to less than 17 minutes of total running. Um, but it's the, it's the ability to look at a task and say, okay, on the surface, I could run all of these, 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 um, elements individually with no problem. But when you combine them and then you divide in, you know, a couple of minutes rest in between each element, and then you stand there with a the clipboard, you know, make sh- you know, checking off who gets in, it gives them a, a heightened sense of a little bit of anxiety. Yes. But like, okay, I, I have to be able to do this. Um, And that culture has been set by players that have been through our program that have done a really good job, you know, reaching out to the the freshmen coming in saying, look, this is a standard for us. We need to do well on it. Um, Now, obviously, what you see in this test is the mental side of it as well. You know, players who come in and pass the first four or five elements, then, you know, the hardest elements are sitting in the middle. If you see them fail two of those, then they go on and pass everything and then fail a third one at the end. They're fit. You can see they're fit. It's the mental side. Now, can you push through these three elements? You missed this 120 by one second. Come on. You can get there. Push yourself. You know, you missed the 300 shuttle by 25, which is our number one highest failed element because of turning, not necessarily, you know, kids don't know how to really turn on, on the, we try to show them prior, but you know, when they get in, they're looping around the line, not necessarily cutting and, and putting their, their plant foot on the proper, on the, you know, their weight on their proper foot when they plant. Um, so we do allow, you know, for some players to miss a couple of the elements. Um, so we don't have a quote unquote pass fail. Um, but if we have an issue with the player, we'll bring them in and say, listen, here's the situation the way the periodization model works you're now behind all of these kids you're gonna get fit but you're probably gonna see a fitness level where you should be now in mid to late october by that point a lot of our players are in their routines and they're fitter than where you are um, and we saw this in 2000 the year we went to the final four in 2016 we had a freshman that came in um, and we had a couple that really didn't do well on the test And what we saw, and again, this was going through the periodization model for the first time, using the periodization model, their level of fitness and their level of performance in the middle to the end of November was outstanding. But like, where was that in September? Well, it wasn't there because you weren't fit enough in August when we got here. So what we saw was that the periodization model did work. It did help kids get fit. But if you didn't come in with the fitness base, you were still behind the other players. Um, so, you know, I, I, think our use of this has been for the purpose of having something to be able to look at and say, yes, this is our base. This is where we're at. This is where the team is. And it also helps us build our training sessions. I know a lot of coaches, um, still, um, you know, they, I've talked to coaches about this, you know, if kids come in fit, they do extra fitness. Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense because they can't do the fitness. You've given them, you do extra fitness. you you you're inviting injury. Um, so we've, we've told players in our pre, you know, prior to preseason when the packets go out that there will no, will not be extra fitness. You are not going to be set off to the side to do additional running. You're going to continue to train within the team, but if you have any expectation of getting on the field or competing for a, a spot, um, you're going to need to do well on this fitness test to have any chance to be fit enough to play and perform at the level that you're going to be required to here.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, the summer period is so important because your season is so short. Mm -hmm. I know in 2011, when I had my first preseason, we got absolutely crushed Uh, Uh fitness-wise. We started off great. We won our first uh, 10 games and we lost our last six. We ended up going 10 and 6. But it almost seems like your model is set up for towards the end of the season, you're playing your best soccer.
1: Yeah, we hope so. I mean, if you look at at the results, you know, from 2015 on to the present day, you're going to see a a run of games, you know, usually around, you know, I would say anywhere from late September on to like mid-October, where we're starting to run off a series of wins. I mean, last year was not a great year for us by our standard, but we won the five of our last six games attributed a lot toward the fact that our kids were starting to hit a really good level of fitness. And I'll be honest, I thought we were playing our best soccer towards the end. The problem is we weren't, you know, and it wasn't a fitness uh, level. It's just, you know, we were we did not perform well in the early part of the season and that was the reason. Um, you know, uh, it came down to you know tactical mistakes, how we were set up, trying to find a system. Um, you know, we as a coaching staff could have done a better job making sure that the system was set. Uh, we thought we had something, we went out with it, it just wasn't working. We had to break it down and start again. So um, there were a lot of components, you know, that played a part in, in last year. But what we did notice was continuing with this periodization model. Um, you know, we did break away from it a little bit towards the end. Uh, because we felt like we needed a bit more competition in our sessions. But in doing so, we did the competition sessions with a periodization thought process. So if we were doing a heavy, intense, small sided 3v3, which we told the kids, look, there's, you know, there's going to be more ankle turns, there's going to be more because the intensity's up. But then we would do that, let's say, on a Monday. And if we were playing Wednesday, we'd be incredibly light on Tuesday. Um, so we really had to balance it. And that was a huge challenge, but something we felt we needed to do uh, in order to to get our results. But the good part about it was we were in a shape physically where we were not at fatigue. So we were able to go ahead and and lift our intensity a little bit later. Because we hadn't hit fatigue yet, we were still fit. Um, you know how that would have gone if we had gotten into the postseason would be would have been interesting. Because I think we probably would have bottomed out a little bit earlier than we would have liked, but we felt the change was just necessary. So any type of cha- you know, training methodology we use, whether it's periodization from start to finish um, or a competitive cauldron model uh, like that's used at UNC where you're tracking and you're awarding points for everything, we had to find a balance last year. And I think we did that. And that's why I think every time you look at a, a, a schedule of ours, you'll see that there is a, a, a run of games, usually mid to end of the season, where we tick off five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, whatever, you know, wins in a row. And I think that has a lot to do with how we're training.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Um, obviously, in the collegiate system, the in-season period is the smallest time of year at only two or three months. How does the model look like out of season? Is it just an extended variation or do you look to work on specific themes out of season?
1: Sure. Um, so, I you know, I don't think that, to be honest, I don't know that it's, and I don't have any science behind this. I could be completely wrong. I don't think it, it's healthy for our kids to be fall fit year round. I just don't. I, I think, you know, and not to say they're on, unfit in the spring, but our level of fitness and our focus um, is a little bit different. You know, for us, you know, we spend a, you know, more time in, in, in the weight room and we're looking to build, you know, stronger, fitter, faster, leaner athletes um, in the spring. Uh, and we really, you know, that's when we really get after the strength and conditioning component, although we do obviously use um, and have strength and conditioning in, uh, in the fall, which is important to us as well, uh, but more so on the recovery side and, and maintenance. You know, in the spring, we're doing more building. But our sessions and the way that we're training um, is really based on building relationships between lines, you know, um, how the defenders work with the midfielders, how the midfielders work with the forwards, and then looking at, you know, technical, functional types of training within position groups. Um, and then we obviously will bring them in um, usually once a week to play 11 aside, sticking with that model where we'll come in, we'll do some rondo to warm up and then we'll just break into blocks. And our blocks in that time, um, because of the, how we've run the fall, the blocks in the spring for us, we can run almost 10 minutes uh, without, you know, without, you know, three to four 10 minute blocks with breaks in between, obviously, um, where we can go through some stuff, but it's amazing that they're able to maintain a pretty high level of fitness because we've kept them fresh and haven't beaten them down essentially um, in the fall. So um, training definitely is different. Um, the focus is a bit more on position groups, tactics, technical functional training, um, working within between the lines and who, you know, what your response roles and responsibilities are. Um, if you're a holding mid, what is your role and responsibility to the center backs when they're on the ball, looking at those things. So our sessions are a little bit start, stop, Okay, freeze, ball comes here, what does our movement look like? Then we'll add a little bit of pressure. So I don't think that they're grueling, um, but we do bring them out, you know, like I said, once a week with the 11, you know, and go 11 aside. But a lot of their work and a lot of their intensity for us
0: in the spring is is in the weight room. Okay, that makes sense. Um, This upcoming fall semester, um, you probably have one of your biggest recruiting classes ever. What what kind of athlete do you look for? What kind of player or character or personality do you look for when you're out recruiting? Mm -hmm. Well, talented, obviously. Um, I think, you know, it's difficult at our level
1: with the limited resources and scholarship funding to sit there and say, I'm going to go out and get a holding central mid or I'm going to go out and get a winger uh, because I can't just go out and pick five kids and think I'm going to get one. So we look at kids who, for us, are versatile. Uh, players who could play in multiple roles within a system. Um, you know, we tend to play um, in a hybrid four three three. 3 We got away from that this year because we feel like we had... Um, the personnel. Uh, and I think the, the, the tactical shift uh, was the right one. Um, so we we do have to, and, you know, that is the one negative is that I'm not recruiting for a system. I'm recruiting, you know, like good midfield players to play in the midfield. And then how do I work within that group? Um, I just don't think, uh, and again, I'm sure there's coaches who do it, but, in, you know, the way that we're funded and, and kind of our, our structure, it's, it, I want to go out and get good fit committed athletes who are versatile to play in a number of different locations. It's not uncommon for us um, to have someone playing in a midfield role and then all of a sudden you'll see them playing at center back or a forward playing out wide as an outside back. Um, You know, we do that all the time because you know everybody's attributes are different. And although, you know, you can look at them on the field in club or high school, where their talents may be used one way there, college is a different level. Um, So their attributes might fit better within our system, within our conference, within the teams we compete against in a different role. It's then our job to identify what the role is going to be and how that player can use, you know, their positive attributes towards playing in that role. Um, So recruiting for us is, you know, it changes every year how we do it. Um, With smaller classes, we're looking to pinpoint certain areas in the field where kids have a more specific, you know, role. Mm -hmm. Uh, When the classes are larger, it's just about – you know, a talented group of players. I think for the first time last year, we were a little unbalanced. Uh, But this year, if you look at on the, on the, I don't say depth chart, but on the dry areas or in the office, um, we have almost a complete, it's, you know, 10 10 backs, 14 midfielders, 14 forwards. Those forwards can interchange and play in the midfield. We have some midfielders can play in the back. So it's perfectly balanced where if we had to make changes or rotate players, we would be able to do that. Um, So, but the recruiting thing, I think, is it's different every single year, how we approach it. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, we want kids who understand that, yes, it might not be a division one level, but the commitment is, is pretty similar. So, if you're not willing to really commit to this thing on and off the field, um, then it's really difficult to be successful. We have to be 100% bought in. It's not, um, oh, I'm going to go D2 because I don't want the commitment of D1.
0: Well, then we're not the place for you. mm mm-hmm. Can you speak on the adjustment period for freshmen? Like I know you said, sometimes uh, a couple of years back, the one or two athletes did struggle with a fitness test. Um, what What are some of the difficulties, were social, physical, academic, um, for incoming athletes?
1: Yeah, I think everyone's a little bit different. What's interesting and what we found over the last couple of years is that, you know, homesickness is a thing and it, and, and, and we've always known that, but I'll have sophomores that come in and say, look, I don't know why I felt great. My freshman year never had a problem, but I'm really just missing home and it's going to affect everybody a little bit differently. Um, so I, I do think that the more we tell our players, like, look, don't underestimate this level. Don't underestimate how fit you need to come in. I think, the more we tell them that, the more we kind of say to them that, look, this is the real deal. You've got to be fit. You've got to be competitive. You've got to be ready to go. Um, I think they are better prepared. Um, because what happens is if they come in and they're not playing, um, where they're not getting the time that they want when we have our meetings and we talk about it, they said, look, I felt very prepared. Yeah, I know I have some more work to do, but I feel like I'm still competing. I feel like I came in ready to go. Um, if we're not telling them, you know, what the level is like and, and, and kind of brainwashing them about, hey, look, you got to be prepared. Don't, don't assume it's going to be easy. Don't assume it's going to be this because you'll have high school or club coaches saying, oh, where are you going? Oh, there? Oh, yeah, you're going to be great there. But they have never seen team play. You've got to prepare like you've never prepared before. Um, and what you find is if when they do that, the transition is a little bit easier. Um, I find in our program, and we've been fortunate, our kids do a pretty good job acclimating. Um, and usually the acclimation is more toward living on their own, doing their own laundry, having to be responsible for going to get their meals and balancing their time. Um, but I've been very lucky. The kids that we've had, you know, they do well academically. Um, so their, their time management is pretty good. Um, And I think, you know, the sport lends itself to athletes like that, to be fair. Um, But the the transition process is real. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of of social stresses, a lot of academic stresses, transitional stresses that do come in and play a factor into a player's performance. Um, And we do tell them that. I think they understand it. Uh, But each player is affected so differently that it's hard to say, you know, we can't, we we can help them, but everyone's going to face it differently and at different times. Have
0: a look at the individual yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, Eric, that's all I have for you today. I gotta to recognize your time. Um, we've got a busy fall semester coming up, so I appreciate you think- coming on. Well, thank you so much, man. This has
1: been great, and and, uh, and hopefully we'll talk soon. I appreciate it.